This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear the police on the stereo. So the next time you're in the Chicago area and you want that authentic arcade experience, you'll enjoy every breath you take and every high score you make at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Hello, Mr. McGinnis. Hello, Mr. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> that that's name? Roy Schilt, isn't it? I can't call you that. That's He'll my, come beat you up because he has lots of muscles. Oh, lots of muscles. He's a big, big man. Like lots. And, yeah. An ample number of muscles. A few. A few He's amply and, muscled. In <laughs> all the right places, yes. <laughs> So, how are so, you? I'm, I'm fantastic, but not Mr. Awesome, but, you know, <laughs> one does what one can. Uh, no, no, great. Long, long, long day at work today. I had to get in super early for a lot of stuff, so I was actually at work a little after 4 o'clock in the morning um, and just have arrived home now for us to record around 7.30 or so, so uh, very long day. Long day. That's what I got. <laughs> it's not very exciting, <laughs> but that's my that's the story of Carrington's day. Big day at work. And what about you, Mike? I was trying to think of something to say there, and I couldn't. And and I think I'm going to have an equal problem talking about this really kind of simple, nothing to it at all game. Today. But this week, we're at least we're shaking it up. We've had five weeks in a row where they were vector games, and this time we're doing pixels. We are. We're back to the pixels, and it makes me wish we were still doing vector games. <laughs> No, this isn't bad. The game, was released, over barrier. 70, the game was released in 78, so I cut them a little slack. But first I we have... I still super like the old ones. You know, I like old games and old cabinets, and, well, and they're really simple, and I dig them. I don't know. I do, too, as long as they're not very, 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 very dull. I think you got to like, get into the right mindset, like really early computer mindset. No. Really early. That, that doesn't save this Is this, is this one we're talking about this week? I think, I think it's after Space Invaders, but just barely. Maybe, yeah. So, it's it's, it's know, a the, 78 game, but we've got some feedback to the get to The bar was still low. So. Feedback? Yes, we do. I could talk about that. Why don't you talk about that, Carrington? <laughs> well, we got a bunch of people write in. Um, <laughs> Darren. Darren wrote in to say, I really enjoyed your episode on Barrier. I was particularly interested in the history of cinematronics, Vector Beam, and the game system design that they, quote, shared, unquote. <laughs> I found a link that might be of interest to other listeners, too. It's an article on Biltronics.com about the Cinematronics CPU board. Specifically, it talks about the board they used for their games from 1977 through 1980, which was a CPU board called, or sorry, usually called the CCPU. It gives a lot of detail to tell about, um, or how to tell the different revisions apart, what factory modifications were implemented for which games and when. Great if you're trying to identify a board. Lots of great detail if somebody wants to dive deep into Cinematronics game information too. So he sent us that link. I will stick it in the uh, show notes. And I agree. It's it's a PDF and well worth reading or at least bookmarking if you're either a collector or you have some cinematronics boards or you might have one in the future. And you want to sort of see, well, what 
version of the board was this or is this appropriate for a certain game and what changes were made so i like that kind of deep meaty info so i'm really happy to to throw this in the show notes so definitely one for the cinematronics fans well we've talked about this before um i think the last time we talked about a cinematronics ccpu game before no vector this year uh there's actually a there's a, i think there's a programming reference guide like a thick manual out there um plus you know a, just a, a general knowledge book on the ccpu as well i mean there's a lot of information about this chip out there and so if you're if you're bored or or you're the type that that really sort of gets into the these little details um definitely there's plenty of stuff to sink your teeth into cool or if you want to treat uh, cinematronics games like pokemon you got to get them all Uh, Joanne wrote in to say, thanks for doing a show on Barrier. I'm one of the few people who like that game. Well, maybe like is a strong word. So let's <laughs> say I'm one of the few people who have heard of it. <laughs> strong praise for that That's one. That's bad, yep. <laughs> anyway, you mentioned that the idea for the game was basically a ripoff of the Mattel handheld football game. And that the arcade game was originally called Blitz before that name got changed. Interestingly, there was actually a game on the Vectrex called Blitz. That game kind of brings things full circle, too, because it's back to being a football game again. In fact, the full name of that game is Blitz American Football. And as a Brit, I applaud the fact that the game wisely differentiates between American football and actual, real, properly named football. (laughs) So I thought that was terrific. And so she sent us a link over to the Vectrex world uh, write-up on Blitz. So if you're interested in football games or other sort of variants on this theme, then this is one you can check out. So it's uh, Blitz American Football for Vectrex. And I will put that link in the show notes. I'd probably be offended about her football remark, except that I don't care about sports. (laughs) There you go. But you just had uh, Thanksgiving. Shouldn't you still be all sports, sports, sports? Go team with the sports. <laughs> the turkey tryptophan hasn't that worn off, I guess. sports so, really well last just night. Just don't care. There's not enough alcohol in the world to make me care about sports. Oh, not even hockey? Um, well, I do care a little bit about hockey. There you go. That's, that's, there you that's, go. A, real, that's a real man sport right there, <laughs> exactly. man. Exactly. <Here. laughs> um, so Peter wrote in to say, great show about Barrier. Looks like other people agree with your take on it. Here is a discussion from Atari Age where people are listing the worst arcade games <laughs> ever. And yes, Barrier makes the list. <laughs> so, yeah, so he sent us a link called uh, Barrier Makes the List of Worst Arcade Games Ever. And, um, As it should. And, and it is just a four. It's not like a, well, I was going to say official, like like anything on the internet is really official. <laughs> but it was just sort of a forum discussion where someone said, okay, let's do something different. Instead of listing our favorites, let's list, you know, worst five or games we hate the most. And at least one person on that list included uh, Barrier. And then I think at least one person responded saying, I've never even heard of that one. <laughs> so made the list of both worst and also most unknown <laughs> all in the one list. Um, let's see what else. Uh, our, our winner wrote in. Um, oh, nice! The, the winner of our our X gaming stick of his choice wrote in. Uh, he's uh, see he starts at see what you started here. Greetings, Chief Happiness Officer Carrington and Air Marshal. Oh, I forgot Coolness. to be giving people titles. Good reminder. Air Marshal of Coolness, Mike. Well, all right, that's a little better. Uh, let me start off first by saying a big thank you to both of you and the sponsors of the contest. Wow, you've all made my day amazing. Last night I spent. The time I was supposed to be sleeping, taking care of my three-year-old, uh, who had the stomach flu, and after three hours of sleep, I awoke at three at three thirty a.m. to go to work plowing snow off the streets. Jeez, man, that sucks. Um, tired and feeling exhausted, I put on the latest episode of your podcast, and to my surprise, you read my name as a contest winner. I couldn't believe my ears. You have made what could have been a hard day amazing, and I'm so very thankful. I realize that the future of arcade gaming 
is in teaching our children how amazing growing up in the 70s and 80s was. Therefore, my choice of X-Arcade sticks would be the X-Arcade dual sticks so that I can play MAME games with my son as he grows up. I just bought uh, an older PC for MAME games about a month ago and had plans to build a bar top cabinet with the dual, uh, which would fit into the perfect size bar top cabinet. Thank you both for the hard work of putting together each and every podcast for our entertainment. And thank you, Underground uh, Underground Retrocade and X Gaming for being wonderful sponsors and keeping arcade gaming alive. Uh, Before I go, I have a couple of questions for you both. What arcade machine did you lose a college fund's worth of quarters in as a kid, and where was it located? Uh, mine would be a tie between Matt Mania and Yeyar Kung Fu, uh, and I played them both at the local mini-mart. Thanks again, your faithful listener, Citizen Starfleet Commander and Grandfellow of Grape Slushies, Jeremy Buckman. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations, Jeremy. Thank you mm-hmm. again, uh, and thank you for everyone for, for entering. Even those of you who didn't win will be having plenty more contests in the future that you can enter and win. Um, Jeremy, your, your X arcade will be on the way shortly to you. Um, and Carrington, what, what, what arcade mo- machine sucked all your money out of your pocket? Oh, lots. And it would depend on like what period we're talking about, because like my favorite game would switch, but there were certain games that every once in a while I would get completely hooked and be almost, almost like addicted to putting money in. And for yeah. like a long period, there was one pretty long period where it was Sinistar. There was a Sinistar machine not too far from where I went to high school and the first high school I went to. Near there, not not too far away, like a three-block walk, was a store... I think it was like a video or rental store or something like that. It wasn't, it wasn't an arcade and they had, or maybe I know it was a sub, it was a sub place, like a place you can go for food and they had a Sinistar machine. Um, and it wasn't the molded one. It was just the, like the regular Sinistar. And I got completely hooked. It was the first place I had played it. And I just couldn't believe how amazing the game was. And it was set to be super crazy loud so you'd go in this place and there's lots of people eating and you have to be kind of fairly obnoxious to play this game there because it was so loud (laughs) i don't think the owners knew that you could adjust the volume and it must have been set on maximum so it's this restaurant where people eat and there'd be music playing but it was you know not too loud and then in would walk carrington obnoxious high school student and i would just pump quarters into it and it'd be like oh i'm hungry (laughs) and run coward and just like screaming it out of this game and I played that for weeks on end, like five days a week, every lunch, I would head over there. And instead of buying food, I would just pump all the money into Sinistar and loudly annoy everybody. And I just got completely hooked. So that's that's one of them. Uh, what about you, Mike? What comes to mind? Well, the first one that pops to mind is a quarter sucker would be uh, Gauntlet, um, just because that's one of those games that it's so much better when you play with your friends. And of course, if everybody's sort of, you know, doing the, the group dungeon crawl thing and you die, you don't want to be the one standing there watching everybody else play. So you just drop another quarter in, you continue. Um, and I don't know, I, I, we would go, th- I could go through when I first started, I could go through 20 bucks and probably, you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe not that bad, but I was bad enough at the game where, uh, I would, I lost a lot of money, but it was, there, there wasn't the point. Uh, the point was of, of a game like that, I think because it's a, because it's so much better in a social setting, that's about spending time with your friends and doing something fun rather than setting high scores or, or any kind of record on how deep you got into the dungeon. So. Mm, nice. Yeah, totally. Salt and Greg wrote in. 
<laughs> you reminded me and go. I rise to the occasion. Salt and Greg wrote in to say, hey, gents, keep up all the great work with the podcast. The last episode on Barrier was very funny to listen to, even more so since you two ended up playing different games. <laughs> also, uh, I just want to mention that you guys, as well as some other great podcasts out there, have inspired me to start my own. I didn't see Good. any podcasts dedicated to the Super Nintendo, one of my all-time favorite systems. Really? So I took it on myself to start one. Uh, right now, I'm doing a solo, but I'm in talks with someone to co-host the show with me. You guys have been a real inspiration for doing this, and there are some parts of the that I'm going to steal, uh, borrow from you for doing my own. Uh, anyway, thanks again to keep up all the great work. And here's the link. So he sent us a link to his podcast and we are always happy to pass on such oh, links. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, I love it. More, the more podcasters out there, the better. Uh, fantastic. So it's called the SNES podcast. Well, that's how I pronounce it. SNES podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and just over at the NES podcast.podomatic.com. So we will have a link to that in the show notes. All of you SNES fans should go and check it out. Yeah, I uh, can't wait to to dig into that one. I was never a, a Nintendo player growing up, but I still enjoy hearing the classic console game uh, arcade discussions. I do find it a little bit dubious that there is not a single SNES podcast out there, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's right. Maybe there were some, and they've all now closed because of he's this. He's absorbed them. Right. He's dropped by. Nice <laughs> podcast you have here. Shame if something was to happen to it. Smash, I smash, break, break. was never massively into the SNES or really the NES. There's so many games on both of those I never played, although I dug them both. I did, however, pick up recently a Super EverDrive. Um, that's one of those multi-carts where you can, it's an actual cartridge that would pop in a, a SNES, and you, but you put a an SD card in the top of it. You can load it with ROMs and stuff. I picked up one of those and the EverDrive 64 for the N64 and the EverDrive (laughs) N8 for the Nintendo uh, 8-bit and also the EverDrive GB for the Game Boy. (laughs) So I basically said, in the future, I may want to play Nintendo games. And while these are still available, (laughs) why don't I just pick up one of each? (laughs) On the off chance you might be interested. (laughs) So I'm kind of ready to go on those. Awesome. (laughs) So did a little bit of shopping for character. Um... (laughs) Uh, what else do we have here? Okay, so another another feedbacky thing. Uh, Kaiser Steven wrote in to say, for next year's No Vector, I suggest you play and review the game Azterac. It's a 1983 vector game by Century that was developed by Tim Stryker, the guy who cr- also created Major BBS. He was later a big force behind something called Super Democracy, which was an electronic democracy movement in the 80s and then early 90s to try to computerize voting, and he created created what he called a or and to create what he called a perfect society based on compassion and love and then 10 years later he killed himself <laughs> oh wow um anyway very interesting guy and very interesting game with some of the best vector graphics ever plus it has an amazing looking cabinet with a bubble shaped monitor bezel how can you beat that the only downside it uses a flight stick slash spinner combo kind of like tron does but hey by the next no vector i'm sure you'll have both worked all that out <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Steven. So, um, yeah, I want to definitely add that to the list. I went and looked up um, sort of what the graphics look like, and I am totally on board. This looks like a fantastic game. So definitely a must-play at some point. Nice. Um, 
Then a couple more. We had a bunch of people write in actually about two different things. People can kind of do some shopping. I guess it's the time of year that people have suggestions for things that one might buy for oneself or others. Shopping. And a bunch of people wrote in about um, some build-it-yourself arcade ornaments. So if you're looking to make some Christmas oh, yeah. tree ornaments, uh, Chris McVeigh, who does a lot of, I think, designs for build-yourself cool things out of Lego. And the plural of Lego, by the way, is Lego. Those who pronounce it Legos, it's like saying spaghettis drives me crazy. Um, <laughs> so a bunch of people wrote in and he's got these build-it-yourself ornaments that are like little mini arcade games. So really super cool. So a neat project. It would make a great little inexpensive gift. You could make somebody an, an ornament and it's out of Lego and it looks like a little arcade thing or make it for yourself if you're, if you're the sort to have a Christmas tree. So I really liked it. We'll have a link in the show notes both to a Flickr, um, a Flickr photo set that shows them and also over to the chrismcvay.com site where you can download the patterns if you want to build them yourself. So that was kind of cool. And then we had a, another ton of people. Uh, that's why I'm not picking out one because we must have had a dozen people write in all sending me a link to something called the ugly or sorry, the arcade ugly Christmas sweater. So, you know, there's the ugly sweaters one oh, might no. get and wear around Christmas. <laughs> well, there's one with an arcade theme. So it's available over at um, spreadshirt.com. Got a carefully pronounce that spreadshirt.com <laughs> and it's called the arcade shirt and it's basically exactly what you would imagine big red and white ugly christmas sweater but all the little patterns on it are bits from arcade games kind of cool actually it's 30 bucks plus shipping and um might just make one of my own shopping lists <laughs> we'll see yeah I, I imagine the the creative or perhaps cash strapped arcade fan could come up with quite a few interesting homemade or fairly cheap arcade gifts that they could make for themselves or their friends if they had any. Yep. I think the cheapest way is you play a game that you like, get a high score, take a screenshot of it, print it out, sign it, send it to somebody, say, I thought of you. Well, I played this. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cheapest gift ever. picture of me. <laughs> this game was dedicated to you. You're welcome. <laughs> there you go. Christmas shopping tip from Carrington. A star um, has been named in your... <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, whatever. Uh, oh, okay. But speaking of tips from Carrington, I have one that I actually meant to bring up three or four episodes ago, and I keep forgetting that I've got these <laughs> collections of links, and I always look to see the links that other people send in, and I forget maybe that I've got one. Well, I've got one to send into the show, and it's a tip for people who, like me, are fans of the Mac, and who, unlike Ooh. Quinn Dunkey, have difficulty setting up MAME on them. <laughs> so it's like, it's just, there's that subset of people who, who want to play the Mac and aren't The hard. majority, in other words. So, exactly. So for the rest of us, who have some great difficulty getting a Macintosh to... Um, run MAME, run a modern version of MAME with a great and easy front end. And like, they're just Mac MAME stinks. Like I have for ages been playing the, the MAME 64 thing you put in. Like I've said repeatedly, I just use the terminal. It's just yeah. easier. I open up the terminal. I, I, really I go is. over to that. I type it in. It's just the front ends just stink for for Apple. Well, no, they don't. It turns out <laughs> there is a free, amazing, like just crazily cool front end that I've had installed on my computer for ages and I hadn't realized it was a main front end. Oh, uh, I know. So a lot of people probably know about this. There is a general emulator program called Open, well, I pronounce it Open MU, but may, but it's spelled like Open Emu. Mike, do you are you aware of that? I am aware of a program program such as that right so, so named yes exactly so it's really a really a nice bit of kit so over at uh open emu i'm gonna keep pronouncing it that way open emu.org so o-m-o-p-e-n-e-m-u.org 
you download this thing and it's a, and it's a sweet little front end that runs a bunch of emulators and really that's what it is it's a little front end and you can have um it comes preset with some emulators and it says i can play nintendo games if you'd like and you drag a rom on it and arranges them in nice little it looks like a little bookshelf of roms and it'll put the the front end uh, it makes it look like it's the actual like box of it and it's just it's a really nice very mac like way to run emulators. It, it's really smart about working with different controllers. You can set up individual control settings for either a particular emulator or particular games within an emulator or just generally. I find it just works immediately with everything I want to plug into my Mac. I grab a joystick, I plug it in, it says, oh, I see it, and you're just working. What I didn't realize that when it lists the emulators it can play that come built into it, it's hiding the vast majority of them. Because there's tons and tons and tons, which it doesn't consider part of the normal package or that aren't like fully baked yet. But you can go to the preferences and say, no, I want to see everything, please, under the, the what they call the cores, which are the available libraries, the available. You can just say, no, turn them all on. And so instead of seeing maybe the six that come with it, it'll say, oh, then, okay, then I am a full MAME player as well. And it does the MAME uh, 0.149, and it just turns on, and it just works perfectly. And it does all the Atari things and all the Nintendo stuff, like everything. And Sega, not just like Sega Genesis and Master System and Saturn and CD and the 32X and the SG-1000. And it does Turbo Graphics, the CD and the 16. It does Virtual Boy. It does Wonder Swan. It does the Jaguar, the 7600. Or sorry, the 7800, the 5200, the 26. Like it does. You want to play ColecoVision? Sure, it does ColecoVision. I mean, it does everything. And also, it is a great, super crazy easy to, to configure Mac front end finally and it's totally free so um hooray for that i will have a link to both the emulator that you can download for free and the little walkthrough that will show you here's where to go in the preferences to just turn on everything including mame and then conveniently well let's put a link over to archive.org which does indeed host the entire mame 0.149 rom set so what a great way to go. If you have a particular <laughs> game you want to play, archive.org links to the ROMs. <laughs> OpenMU is that exact ROM player. Like they, they work wonderfully together. Um, so hooray for that. And hooray for Mac users finally have a decent, easy to use main front end. It was a transforming experience. I'm really happy about it. Wow, neat. I can't wait to, to check it out. It does look like uh, it requires uh, OS X 10.7 or later. So if you're still hanging on to Snow Leopard, you're not going to be able to play this. But if you're hanging on to those older things, then you might as well just use Mac Mame or something. Like just use true. In yeah. fact, just you know, get a get a different computer. Because <laughs> nobody around <laughs> here hangs on to old things or plays old games or anything. No, like that. we move on. Don't yeah. want to play old games. Old <laughs> games are dead to me. Let's talk about old Final software. Fantasy. <laughs> no, this week we are talking <laughs> about a game from 1978. <laughs> Much earlier in Final Fantasy. In fact, this week's game is called Gypsy Juggler. I had never heard of it before. I'd never heard of this game or the company that made it. The company is called Meadows Games Incorporated. They were out of Sunnyvale, California. It looks like they did five or six games in total. All of them um, in the late 70s. They ran from 76. Their first games were Laser Command and Bigfoot Bonkers in 1976. Uh, and their last game was uh, Warp Speed in 1979, and then they did this one and a bunch of others in 78. They had two bowling games. One was called 3D Bowling, and one was called Meadow Lanes. Um, 
And the difference, as far as I could tell, was that one of them had sort of a triangular bowling lane so that it looked like it was sort of 3D. Um, <laughs> so they seemed to like bowling. But um, I, I don't really know much else about this company. Um, there's not much to say about this game. It's it's you um, have a little yellow um, player down at the bottom, and he shuffles to the left and right. And there's an opening at the center of the top of the screen. And when you hit the fire button a to, to start the game, a single ball comes down and bounces on your hand. And every time it hits your hand, it's five points. And I think it, and it bounces almost all the way back to the top. And, and if it bounces on your head or shoulder, it doesn't go up as high. And the scoring is a little bit different. And that's really all there is to the game. You can play this game forever and ever, five points at a time. <laughs> well, there is a little more to it. Yes. What there is? But going back to Meadows, totally agree. Like this was a company, I was like, I have not heard of them. Who is this company? <laughs> I was thinking maybe, are they a company that licensed other people's games and then really, nope, they just nope. sort of made their own games. They in fact licensed this game to Taito. It really? was released in the, in Japan as part of the Taito Titronics TV series. In fact, I think it was the third one of those. And I think that's what it's called. Some people call it the Taito Titronics TT series, but as far as I know, in the early days, the TT series from Taito meant their tabletop games, and this wasn't one of those. This was an upright, so I think they're actually the TV, like television series. Right. I don't know. Um, and those were a bunch of games that Taito licensed and then rebranded for distribution in Japan, so it had that going for it. But you're right about Meadows being something I had never even heard of this company before. First thing I read about them was a small write-up describing them as a company and saying that they were probably best known for the game bombs away and i was like well i've never heard of bombs away so i guess i've never even heard of their best known game i mean nothing they did became a household name um and that kind of makes them at least interesting so that that's kind of cool but you're right that this game especially at the very beginning is remarkably simple and slow because you are playing this gypsy down at the bottom of the screen i think one thing you skip though is you don't just move back and forth and it's kind of like you're a clown i think it's the, the look of it, but you're supposed to be a gypsy, but to me, it looks like a clown as a graphics. But you move back and forth, crouched really low and moving kind of crab like, and it's totally the MC Hammer move. So <laughs> as soon as you realize that, the game is extra awesome because, you know, come on, <laughs> Hammer time. Um, but you're right that the game starts crazy slow because the controls here are simply a dial to move your character back and forth and one button to release the egg. But you can have up to four eggs going at once, and that what? makes the game far more difficult and far more <laughs> high scoring because if you've got one egg out in the play field, it's slowly going back and forth. And honestly, you could probably just play forever if you did that. The game is so easy. <laughs> but then you get five points every time you juggle it, like every time it bounces off your arm. If it bounces off your head, you're right. It just goes straight up and down. It doesn't bounce very hard, and you get no points for a head hit. You've got to hit it off your arms. But you get five points for that. But however, if you hit the button a second time, out comes another egg to play at once. And you can actually have up to four eggs going simultaneously. If you've got two eggs on screen, then every time you juggle one of them, you get 50 points instead of five. So suddenly your score is 10 times higher, but it's also more difficult because there's two them going if you bring out a third egg now we're getting seriously difficult but you get 100 mm -hmm. points for every time you juggle one and if you bring out four eggs then you get 200 points for the very few times you can juggle one before you drop it because come on four <laughs> eggs is nigh impossible um yeah but like i said you get no points if it bounces off your head and the other thing is you you kind of are bouncing like you've got your arms out to the left and right as you do your mc hammer move <laughs> and, and as they drop it's 
it's kind of hard to describe, but it's kind of like breakout. Like this is sort of like a single player right, breakout. That's exactly what I was thinking. But yeah. the paddle finic- physics are reversed. So like if like if the egg lands on the extreme right, like you're out on the right edge, it actually bounces to the left because you're juggling. So it's sort of going over your head. So the farther out from your body it goes, the sort of more extremely it goes in the opposite direction. So the goal is to try to juggle them just off from your head to try to keep everything controlled. Because once it gets out of control, then, you know, they just go all over the place. Um, but it, it is a pretty simple mechanic. Yeah, it, it's very simple. And... Uh, the catch is that if you drop any one of your eggs, uh, your turn is over, and you get to see a little animation of the chick being hatched from the egg and running off the side of the screen. That's the best part of the game. Uh, and it, it makes really... a little peep, peep, peep noise. <laughs> it Love it. Love the little chick. Yeah. And that's that's a, that's actually one of the problems with this game is there's not, I mean, there's the kind of bouncy juggling noise that the, the egg makes when it goes off your arm or your hand, and it makes a slightly different sound when it goes off your head. You got the peep 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 noise, and that's really it. There's there's no music playing in the background. There's there's nothing, and I'm willing to cut this game a little bit of slack because it's 1978, but it's still, I mean, really kind of boring. I found that so every time you hit the fire button, like like Carrington said, another egg will come out up to four. But if you at the very start of the game just tap the the fire button four times in a row, all of them will come out. You can stand there, not move at all, and get a whole bunch of. I think several times I got up to fifteen or twenty thousand points. Uh, just because the eggs didn't, they just kept bouncing at the right angle off my arms. I didn't have to move at all. <laughs> you probably beat my score. I, just, I got better <laughs> than that, but holy cow. Um, it's funny how the flyer, I totally agree with you on the sound because there's not, there's no music in the background and there are the various sounds when you bounce an egg or you drop an egg or that little chip peeping, which I liked. But the, one of the things in the flyer for this game that really, they really push is that it has 11 different sounds. So I started trying to listen, really listen for those sounds, <laughs> but the most I could identify were six of them. You, when you drop a coin in, you get a sound player starts a sound bounce off the arm is a different sound than bouncing off your head. When you release another egg, you get a sound and the chick peeping was a sound and that's all I could come up with. So I know, but there's 11 different sounds and they're not that different to be honest. Like they're basically buzzes. I wonder if that's one of those operator adjustable things that you can set on, uh, you know, like a dip switch or something because uh, yeah, I'm looking at the flyer right now and, and you can set, so, you know, you talk, uh, we talked, uh, talked about dropping an egg that's called a miss. And, and I think the standard is you get three misses and then your game's over, but you can set all the way up to nine misses or as few as two misses. And I wonder if there's some weird sound setting in there, uh, that, that allows you to, that, that allows you to add more sounds. I, I don't, I don't know. It's very, very strange. I think it plays hammer time. My, 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 my music hit me so hard. Makes me say, oh my Lord, thank you for blessing me. What am I to run and do hype? It feels good when you know you're down. A super dope homeboy from the Oak Town. And I'm known as such. And this is a beat up. You can't touch Stop. Hammer time. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's a little <laughs> dance across the bottom of the screen there. It's, <laughs> it, is, it is kind of fun to watch that animation, I will admit. <laughs> the way it, he moves, man, is pretty hilarious. For, for a 1978 game, there's definitely a certain charm to this. This is an early game because it's November 78 it comes out. So it's it's essentially a black and white game, even though it's color because of an overlay. Color but overlays, right? Yeah, exactly. But it's really an early, very simple black and white game. But it's the kind of game in the 70s you would walk in. And this is 
technically post Space Invaders, but sort of just barely. So yeah, the bar is kind of low for what you're expecting from a video game. And the fact <laughs> that it was a video game at all is kind of cool. And we're still in that period where games are simple enough that you have very simple controls and can completely understand the mechanics just at first glance. So I, I do cut these kind of things a lot of slack and I really like them. But at the same time, this is very much, as, as well, I said it was kind of like playing a, a single player version of of breakout in a sense other than there's nothing up top to knock out but it's really it's very much a spiritual successor to the exity game circus and yeah. so i went and looked that up and that's from 77 so we're like a year and a half almost two years because this came at the end of the year almost two years after circus and there'd already been a lot of ripoff games so well, I cut this thing slack. It's more like a 1977 game that happened to come out in November of 78. <laughs> um, so it's super simple, but you can see how it's almost too late. Like it would have come out. And I think Meadows here was was on the wrong side of the crest because now Space Invaders is out and you're a year off from so amazing color games. And so this is a game that was, you know, too late for its time, I think. So I'm not surprising that didn't become a household name. That said, for a simple kind of black and white game, I, I, I honestly, I kind of dug it. I got, you, you can't yeah, play bad. it with just the one egg. It's too darn simple. Like yeah. I could still be, I could be playing it right now with the one hand, not even looking. It's crazy easy with one egg. Two eggs becomes an actual game and three eggs is a challenge um, that I would fail at and four eggs was ridiculous as soon as one moves anywhere you're dropping them like four eggs is just insane but two eggs or three eggs maybe you can get a real challenge out of this thing there is sort of the the unusual feature of it this this is a four-player round robin game uh and most of the games at the time i think were kind of two-player alternating and what it means by round robin i think is that um that any any player could be called up next after your turn um, it does have the, that sort of, you know, the eight bit text across the top of the screen that has like all the information and it never really changes except the scores go up. Um, so all four player scores are on top, things like that. Um, I, I, I do, I did like the fact that it's sort of the, the, the round Robin and that you can play with a lot of friends. This, this is definitely meant to be a social type game. Um, if you, if you play to 5,000 points, you automatically, you're, you're the next player you play again in the round Robin. That's the, that's the bonus. You don't get extra misses. You get to play next. So and I don't know if it's, and I forgot to test this, but if it's truly random, it could be a while before you play again, if you lose. Um, and then I think you get another, um, I think you, you get another bonus like that. The same player plays again at 15,000 and then at 35,000. But I know it's also a kind of awkward system for starting the game with multiple people. Cause I was reading through the manual. You have to put, you put all the quarters in and say you want three people to play. Then you put three quarters in, then you have to press the start button three times. And you have to do that before anybody presses the launch egg button, because it's the number of times you press the start button in a row without adding new quarters determines how many people play this game. So if you put in four quarters and hit the start button three times, then launch an egg, then you're playing a three player game with a one player game lined up to come later. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's kind of a weirdly awkward system, um, but you're right. At least it's four players, although not four players at once. They did make one. They made, um, uh, Oh, I guess it wasn't them, but the Taito, 
Titronics TV series. I was looking at those because they're like these crazy super 70s games, uh, and most of which I'd never heard of before, like Safari and Crossfire. And I kept wondering, like, what are the what was that game called in North America? Because I couldn't always figure them out. But they have this really cool four-player cocktail race game called Fisco 400 um, <laughs> that looked great with one of those uh, high-level marquees on it. And it's probably like the rebadged Atari game, um, but a really cool-looking – anyway, we should – do a show about the Taito Titronics TV series at one point because there's sure. some sweet looking cabinets there. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this one kind of I guess we should talk about the cabinets. Kind of a neat looking cabinet, but uh, uh, nothing too super special about it. I think. Okay, well, real quick before we get to that, the uh, the CPU is uh, there. There were two main CPUs, the S twenty six fifty chips, both set to six hundred twenty five kilohertz, and there was another uh, sound CPU, also the six twenty six fifty at uh, 625 kilohertz, and then it used a DAC uh, to sort of improve the sound. The 256 by 224 pixels, uh, standard horizontal video resolution there. Um, it says there are only, well, yeah, two palette colors, black and white, I guess, because because it used overlays to get the color. Uh, Carrington, tell me if, if there's anything else about the cabinet we should know. More, I was thinking about that chip for a second, the, the 2650. I don't think I know that chip. Hmm. Do I well, know that chip? Google tells me about this. <laughs> Do some quick research and Googly explain Googly to me Googly about Googly. the chip. Um, well, because it sort of strikes me weird. It's only 625 kilohertz, and but I don't think I know this 2650 as a microprocessor. Okay. This is a Signetics 2650. It was an 8-bit microprocessor introduced in mid-1975. Uh, Adam Osborne called it the most mini-computer-like of all microprocessors available at that time. So it's a very early chip kind of. Sort of right around the same time the 6502 came out from Moz. Um, oh, I'm reading about it too. It's weird. It's got a 15-bit address space, and it's got seven 8-bit registers huh. for a 1975 chip. Doesn't surprise me at all that it doesn't look like it was, it's at least four coin-operated games were released in the 70s, which used the 2650, the uh, Atari Quiz Show, uh, Metal Games 3D Bowling, Metal Games Gypsy Juggler. Oh, and of course, Cinematronics used it in their Embargo game. Oh, okay. So a different board than their normal stuff interesting okay because yeah. i'm gonna say that this isn't a, a chip that as soon as you said that i'm like what the heck is the s2650 <laughs> but okay so anyway the um cabinet kind kind of neat looking i guess not super exciting monitor was you know a monochrome uh, raster though raster not vector monitor horizontal resolution of 256 by 224 um like I said, in Japan, it's part of the Taito Titronics TV Series 3, and it's a pretty nice-looking cabinet, the, the Meadows one, especially for 1978. It's got a black front and a white sides with about three-quarter height side art of this clown. Um, the clown's juggling these yellow eggs with the letters on the eggs that spell out Gypsy Juggler. And the art is also a tiny bit creepy, the way all <laughs> clowns inevitably are. Oof, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the marquee is yellow, but at least it lights up, unlike last week's game. <laughs> and so it doesn't look like the game is off when it's on. And it's got the dark red uh, Gypsy Juggler logo on the marquee. There's a a very colorful bezel that goes around the monitor too. It shows this guy juggling some, some colorful balls and he's on the left side. And also a bunch of people are watching and I guess applauding him on the right side. And the top right corner is a dancing lady with tambourine. It's very hippie like, and above the monitor is a barn. <laughs> I don't know why, but there you go. <laughs> That's what they chose to use up some of the space with. Um, now my main setup did not display this graphic. A lot of times in MAME, I've got mine set up to display these bezel things and this one wasn't. And so I've got a pretty 
pretty complete main setup, and yet it did not have the graphic hmm. for this bezel art. And it looks like it's not out there much, but I was able to finally track it down because I did some deep Googling for this game because there's so little info about Meta. Mm-hmm. So like on something like page 23 of the Google results, I finally found. So I will stick a link in the show notes for anybody else who wants to set up their system. I found the actual, like a scan, a properly sized scan of the uh, bezel art. So you can tack that in. It adds a lot of color to the screen. And like we said, the, the monitor itself is monochrome, but has sort of stripes of color as an overlay that add a bit of color to the, to the graphics and the, the old way that things were. The, uh, the control panel on the front of it, well, the monitor is pretty much vertical. The control panel's tilted at about a 45 degree angle up from the horizontal. So it's a pretty strange, um, a pretty strange angle for a control panel to be that it's almost like playing at a stand-up version of a tabletop game. Um, and the cabinet, intro- speaking of the, the control panel, the cabinet introduced um, what Meadows was calling their scratch-resistant printed control panel surface that they branded as Texture Tough. But I haven't actually seen one of these in, per- uh, on, uh, in person. So I, I see one of these on purpose. I haven't seen one of these on purpose. It's only <laughs> accidental. And so I, I haven't actually been able to, to touch it. So I don't know what kind of texture they're talking about. But something about it's, this it's, control panel is Texture Tough. And it's Tough spelled T U F. T U F. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's not how you Americans always spell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably is now. Man. And um, the uh, the cabinet also is one of those ones popular in the 1970s style where it has a slide out step in the front of it. You see that a lot more in these early 1970s cabinets. I think it's because at the time the idea still was that these games would have, you know, basically kids as a significant part of their target audience. And it's funny how that kind of goes away after a while. And they're like, you know what? There's always stools and, and stuff around and the people with the real money are teenagers. Let's focus on them. So the, the steps went away, but this is one of the ones with a step built in. Um, I think the only other thing of note, really, is that there are dual coin slots in the front, and I think that showed a bit of optimism, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so uh, the cabinet itself, if you're looking to get one, too bad. It is basically unfindably rare. Um, but there are some interesting details out there. Uh, we've talked in the last couple of episodes in a row, and I'll keep the streak alive for giving a shout-out to Andy's Arcade.net, yep. um, Andrew Welburn, because he's got – a uh, nice um, write-up of the, the Gypsy Juggler pinouts. So, well, I can't tell you where to buy a cabinet or how much it'll cost you. Uh, I can tell you how to set the pinouts when you do get one. So I'll have that link. That's all I, that's all I have for you. <laughs> so there you go. I'm looking at the front of the flyer here, and it, it says that there was a cocktail table edition available by special order. Do you know anything about that? No, I don't think that actually got made. Hmm. No, there's surprise nothing. Me. Yeah, yeah there's, I didn't even see that on the flyer, but I definitely didn't encounter... And in fact, I don't even remember seeing that in the manual. Normally, there's something that we'll talk about whether it flips or doesn't flip for the settings because there's normally will be a dip switch setting to to move it into cocktail mode because you you have now two people playing and they're on alternate sides of it. Um, but I don't recall that being part of the manual, so I bet that never actually got produced. But it has a step. But it has a step. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I didn't. I enjoyed the game. I mean, it was it was fun. It, it's really really boring if you only play with one ball, but you can play it endlessly. Uh, it, it is kind of fun and it's catchy. Like you said, Carrington, I think it sort of came just a little bit too late because you know the the flashy games with the better color and and the sound were right around the corner. So I can see why this probably you know didn't it landed without a splash and disappeared without anyone really noticing. But I, you know, I didn't hate it and. 
I, I my standards tend to be a little bit looser for games from the late seventies than they do later on. So maybe I'm being more forgiving than I should be. But yeah, I, I don't know that I'll play this one again. But I don't regret playing it. I I don't wish that I could have that time back and gouge my eyes out with a spoon like I did with Barrier. But you know. Right. No, it's a, I mean, it's, yes, it's a simple game, but as long as you've got a couple eggs going, you play the two or three egg version. I dug it. Like, and there's something, I don't know, there's something about these 70s games, the the simplicity of them. uh, And the more monochrome, in my opinion, the better. I I just, I don't know how you get more monochrome. It's like (laughs) particularly only one color, but whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, I've got a soft spot for them. I think like if I was setting up an arcade, I would absolutely want to have a row or a floor that was like all 70s things some games are better than others like i'll take an atari race game over this kind of thing but i don't know there's something about those special early games that i just they they tickle my fancy and when you throw in movement that is mc hammer type hammer time i dig it (laughs) that's enough for me to give a thumbs up so um so i enjoyed it I, i i liked playing it i i wouldn't recommend necessarily that it'll go into people's favorites, but it's not a game I regret playing. And right. I think I will go back and play it again. I think it's it's a it's a ROM I'll keep around. Well, if I ever do stumble across it in, a, in an arcade, I'll definitely give it a shot there. And, and See, as, there the, as the back of the, the flyer says, uh, gypsies are lovers and you'll love Meadows Gypsy Juggler. But will you love next week's game? We can't go to next week's game yet. You want to move on because you don't want to talk score. You know I destroyed you. Also, uh, over at the hitmanvgm.blogspot.ca, there's an article on, Is Gypsy Juggler Racist? So I want to bring that up so I can pull it. And basically his answer is no, because I don't think just using the word gypsy is racist. And so that's the conclusion he makes. But I'm like, why is that even a question? But okay. Because that's where we live in, Karen. (laughs) I guess. But I thought it was kind of weird. I'm like, I don't think... Just, I don't think that's okay. I, I, my thought was no, and he concludes no, and I don't understand why that article exists. But I need more links, so that link's going in the show notes. He gets Another paid by link the word, sh- and he needs so to submit an article. We should talk scores, and before we do so, I want to talk about an eleven-year-old who got shafted. Um, so oh, that's right. Arcade, there's Arcade Fever Forum over at yuku.com. Uh, there is a discussion there. Again, I went deep in Google. So there's a discussion from 2007 talking about this game. I was kind of desperate for info. And a fellow on the board was posting how his son, his 11-year-old son, just scored 56,000 on the game, which gave him the then current high score for the world on this game in in mame anyway and so he submitted it to twin galaxies and they rejected his score because he was too young and i guess twin galaxies has or at least had a rule that they wouldn't take scores from minors and i never knew that so he was posting about how he was you know disappointed that his 11 year old got turned down um from being the then current world record holder for fifty six thousand um because he was 11 years old that's Odd, considering yeah. the the age of most arcade players at the time, you know. I think games were... with a step in the front, you should <laughs> you should be allowed to be minors to play them. Well, They're clearly I'm a, game for them. I'm a Twin Galaxies webpage, and his score still isn't listed there. And the number six score is only like forty four fifty. Yep, so. exactly. And they, because they won't take scores under that. In fact, it's ridiculous. I, I think when I looked at it, it would give him currently even still like the third highest score, um, like the high high score or something like one hundred seventy five thousand or something huge. Um, and we'll still be that way after we give our scores, I presume. <laughs> Again, I will tell you now that 11-year-old also beat my score. <laughs> but, um, but there you go. So uh, how would you do this week, Mike? Well, like I said, I could rack up uh, on, on the, the, the four-egg juggling balance. I could usually just 
let it sit there for a few minutes and rack up, you know, 15,000 points. So, um, and then of course it, it fell apart quickly after that, but that was still my highest scores came that way. And uh, so <laughs> I, I ended up with uh, 22,500 points. Well, that's not bad. I beat you, but that's not oh. bad. But the key I found was to not play the four egg version, to resist the <laughs> temptation of that fourth egg. The fourth egg is a loser, but you should use it as a strategy. So my high score, I did, I did pretty good this week. I got 33,150. Oh. So a couple of tricks I learned. First of all, two eggs, you can go forever, it seems. And my high score is probably a, a mostly two egg score because it's so much easier to juggle two. Like you're just going to be able to go. I think I could have probably gone way longer, but you kind of start to get bored. You want to challenge yourself. So you, I, you release that third egg and <laughs> man, three eggs, there's always something's going to go wrong. So if you're going for a high score, it seems two eggs is the sweet spot. If you're going for fun and challenge, three eggs is the sweet spot. One is too boring, four is immediate doom. But because the score you get is based on the number of eggs out there, it is important that if an egg ever gets away from you, the moment you feel, oh, I'm about to lose, you just spam the egg button because you'll often get at least one more hit in from an egg somewhere <laughs> and you can make that egg worth more points. So what? suddenly you're going to like, if you're playing a 200 point or 100 point game, suddenly it's going to be 200 points. So it's a way to grab that little tiny bit of extra at the end. So that's the only tip I really had. And if you wear MC Hammer pants when you play, it does indeed add to your score. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think you automatically get like a 20,000 point bonus. And you should. <laughs> Hammer time. The game's a lot like Breakout, you know. It's it's all about sort of uh, trying to predict the arc breakout. Of, of the uh, yeah. It's trying to, it's all about trying to predict the arc of the falling egg and and you know managing your space and time between that and the other falling eggs. Wasn't the arc of the falling egg um, your memoir? <laughs> Indeed, it was. Arc of the it's falling egg, the Mike McGinnis the story. Mike McGinnis story. <laughs> Darkness Falls, Part One. <laughs> Uh, the, Darkness is still falling. Uh, series. Darkness the, is continuing to fall. The series, the, the highest, uh, the world record high score, at least according to Twin Galaxies, right now is uh, one hundred and seventy-five thousand two hundred points by William J. Holmes. Um, but who knows if there are ten-year-olds out there that have beaten his score? Bet there are. Bet there are. Bet there are. I think that eleven-year-old should get his score. I'm yeah, championing I'm not happy that about guy. That. Yeah, totally unfair. Uh, so I guess that's it we have to say for <laughs> Gypsy Juggler. <laughs> now can we move on to the next Yes, game? we can indeed move on to the next exciting <laughs> non-vector game. What do you got for me next week, Mike? Well, here it is, Carrington. All right, everybody. Uh, once again, thank you for all the participants and the entries into our uh, X-Arcade giveaway and congratulations to jeremy and thank you to our sponsors the underground retrocade and to x gaming yeah that was super of them yes indeed and we will have more exciting contests in the future and in the meantime uh we'll see you next week bye you've been listening to no quarter the classic arcade podcast Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.
Hammer time.